Well, it's good to see each and every one of you tonight, even if it is by video that I pre-recorded for you. Uh, we are in Calgary this week in Alberta, Canada, so keep us in your prayers this week. Uh, but glad you're there with us on uh, Facebook or on Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. You can search us on any of those platforms. And then we have our phone live streaming. You can call the church office. We'll be glad to give you that number. It's 931 455 Four five. Uh, while you're there on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, give us the retweet on Twitter. Uh, give us the thumbs ups uh, on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, click the notification bell on YouTube. Uh, also, be sure to subscribe uh, to our website there, or to our face, uh, to our YouTube page, as well as our Facebook page. Uh, that way, you'll get all those when we go live. Uh, as well as it helps by having more and more people to do that to get the word out to more and more people uh, about our services in general. But as you're on this particular post uh, to do that there. Uh, let me encourage you to go to our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download the worship bulletin for today. So I encourage you to take the time to do that. A lot of upcoming activities that are in that bulletin, uh, as well as we have our children's worship bulletins for ages three and up and ages seven and up. Those go along with our sermons for each Sunday. So I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. Uh, you can also share the links with, uh, with anyone. Uh, you can just forward that to them or however you want to do that. You can print them and print them off for them. Uh, but I encourage you to use that as our out outreach resource there. And then also under that info tab is where you can download tonight's prayer list. Uh, so I want to encourage you to get that downloaded. We didn't have that up last week, but we should have that tonight. So we just want to encourage you to take the time to get that downloaded. So when we get to the prayer list time, uh, you can be able to do that also. And then also while you're there on the church website, go to the far right hand side, click the give online tab there, uh, and you can set up your online giving as a recurring gift, a one-time gift. Uh, you can designate uh, to the designations that are listed there. Uh, so I encourage you, even if you're in person, you can do that. If you are in person and you don't want to do that, you do have the offering envelope option that you can do. Also, those are in the backs of the pews in front of you. And then you can just place that in the offering plate as it comes around later. I do believe there are a few of these that are left of our prayer guide for our Calvary, Calgary trip. So uh, I want to encourage you to pick up one of those. They're on the side over here. Uh, if you're at home, I will try to get this posted to our Facebook page. So you may have to go back in some previous posts there to find that, to be praying for us uh, during this week. Uh, we will be coming back Saturday, so pray that everything goes well there. If not, Pastor Matt will be filling in for me uh, on Sunday. So I uh, just want to encourage you to remember us in prayer. Uh, Brother Mike, if you will, go ahead and come and, and lead us in our hymn of worship tonight. And then if you will, uh, go ahead and go over our prayer list and have our prayer time. And then I'll join back with you with the message uh, after that. Well, hello, everybody. Let's uh, take your uh, hymnals and let's turn to 586, and the words will be on the screen too. So let's sing all four verses of We've a Story to Tell, 586. Miss Pat? Dawning the noonday bright. 
Take your, uh, your prayer request that you've been given when you walked in tonight, and uh, let's look over them a little bit. And I'll go down our HBC family. We've, on our list still is, uh, is uh, S.W. and Carolyn Stone, Steve's mom and dad. Charles Sanders, Sandra Wells, um, continue to remember Jim Hess and his traveling. Bell Royton, Royton and her uh, recovery from Bell's palsy, and uh, also Mike Durham. Bill Warren is COP issues, and Art Hargrove still has some things that he's working through. Beverly Daniel and Rosalie Moore, Bertie Davis, also Cindy Ingram and Brenda Gilbert. Gil Williams, uh, you have an update on Gil? So Gil is recovering. It's a slow process, and it's not as fast as he would like, I'm sure, but uh, he'll, he'll stick with it. Uh, also, Amy Jackson, who had injured her ankle, and uh, Lauren Fultz also had had an ankle issue. She's doing good, good. And continue to remember Paco Prince, or Stephen Prince, uh, he, where his 
he's burned real bad uh, with a, a grill grilling accident with uh, uh, propane. So continue to remember him. He's at home and, and progressing. Uh, just remember him and Leah and the family. Um, in a nursing home and assisted living, we've still got Mary Campbell and Peggy Eggleston, James Johnson, uh, as far as friends and family, uh, Mike Hauser, uh, anybody have an update on uh, Katie Joe? Okay, still remember her, and Wilburn Warren, which is Bill's brother, Sarah Jernigan, Randy Tatum, this is Ken's brother, and uh, he's still battling cancer. Um, Amanda Harris, Mark Smith's niece, also Mark Smith's dad, Don Smith. Um, Jack Heiss is pastor at Marble Plains Baptist Church. Cindy Cruz, which is, uh, I think, is that part of Brother Jim's family, I think? So she's still, she's, she is battling liver cancer, so continue to remember her. We want to uplift the people of Ukraine and their, their uh, battle right now that's still underway and giving them strength and protection. Mamie Thompson, uh, she's in her own apartment now, and, uh, and Brenda, Bailey has, uh, Brenda Brady has eye problems. Also... Um, Remember the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church, uh, Jason, and his wife, Laura, Jason Curtis. Uh, Miss Laura needs a liver transplant, so continue to remember them. Um, Kenny Boucher, Boucher is, which is a neighbor to Brother Jim, continue to remember him. He still has some medical issues. Miss um, Christine Cranford, uh, which is Pat Durham's mom. David Kohler, that's... Matt's dad, remember him with his kidney issues. Um, also, little Audrey, which is uh, Brother Jim and Samantha's granddaughter in recovery from her broken arm. Um, Angela Miller with appendix. Remember the mission trip of the group that's in Calgary right now and uh, just continue to pray for them and you all have the prayer guides and stuff that they left for us to uh, specifically remember things during the week that they'll be working on. So we pray for success and, and also um, uh, safe journeys back home. Uh, Bob Foglia's, the family Bob Foglia, uh, any update on his son? Okay. Libby Kine, which is Rick Miller's mom, uh, she had a stroke and haven't, had, haven't heard an update on that yet. Uh, Joe Bates' sister, we got the call today, uh, had passed away. Miss Nellie Wiseluski, continue to remember that family. Anybody else have anything they need to add? Linda who? Linda Ray. Okay. Is she on here? Pat, is she on here? Yeah, Linda Ray, emergency surgery at Vanderbilt. Yes, I'm sorry I skipped over that one. Okay, if nothing else, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight just praising you for your power, your glory, for your love, and for the opportunities that we each of us have in, to be here, the freedoms that we have in our, in our lives that others don't. 
pray that you be with us, that we recognize that uh, we owe everything to you and you're in control. Lord, I pray specifically for those in Ukraine that are just no words to describe what some of them's having to go through and just give them strength there in their battle for freedom. Lord, I pray for Brother Jim and the Calgary team with uh, uh, all those that had, had went with him. I pray, Lord, that you specifically guide them and watch over them and be with them as they're leading in their group sessions this week. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you touch hearts and and at least plant seeds that, that will change lives in your time. Lord, I pray you just be with this service, be with Brother Jim as he continues leading us in tonight's service, and uh, just bless the families that are here tonight. We just praise you and thank you for your love and your son, and, and we'll talk later. In Christ's name, amen. Brother Jim. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Uh, thank you, Miss Pat, uh, for leading us there in our song and going through our, our prayer list for tonight. If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel and Matthew chapter 24 and 25. I thought that uh, while I'm away, I wanted to do something a little bit different, but yet still pertaining to uh, the end times and looking at the book of Revelation, kind of try to tie some things together that we're seeing in the book of Revelation, especially in these next chapters we're going to be looking at over the next uh, few weeks. And that's what Matthew 24 and 25 will do for us. Uh, Matthew 24 24 and 25 are, are, are they're not the 40,000 uh, foot view, uh, they're probably about the 20,000 uh, foot view. Uh, I would say probably the 40,000 foot view is, is what we see in the book of Daniel, looking at things from afar uh, as far as the end times go. And, and then in Matthew, when you hear about Jesus and what he's telling us, you're looking at about 20,000 feet. And then when you get to John's gospel, uh, you're right there on the ground seeing the things that he's seeing and beginning to understand how all this ties together, at least hopefully. So Matthew chapter 24 is where we're going to begin tonight. Uh, and we're just going to go as far as we can get. And like a, I'll, I'll tell you again, uh, I may not get through everything tonight. If I don't, we'll cover the rest of this either next Wednesday night or in a following uh, Wednesday night. So Matthew chapter 24, we're just going to read the first two verses to start with. And then I want to share some things with you to kind of set the stage for where we are getting into this. So verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Uh, there's a story, and it's a true story, about a man named Harry that I want to share with you. Old Harry was a stubborn man. Uh, he had become a legend in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, even though he was warned repeatedly that his life was in jeopardy, he just laughed. Uh, red flags and danger signs were often ignored, and Harry, well, he was just a picture of that kind of person. Uh, he lived at the foot of a quiet mountain. At least she had been quiet for some 123 years. Uh, sometimes she stirred to spit cinder and ash or to drool lava from her cavernous crater. Uh, occasionally she looked down uh, steep snow fields and rumbled a muted threat to the people uh, who explored the, the lush forest and the mountain meadows below. Uh, some thought <laughs> that, that Bigfoot, uh, the legendary giant beast, uh, stalked her slopes. 
but Mount St. Helens uh, was seething inside. Uh, she was ready to unleash her force of, upon those unbelieving admirers. The story goes on that I want to share with you that, that Mount St. Helen was awesome, it was mysterious, uh, but only threatening to the few who understood her power. March 1980, an earthquake registering uh, 4.1 on the Richter scale registered near Mount St. Helens in southwestern Washington state. Uh, forest rangers were advised of possible dangers from avalanches which could trap skiers or climbers. Most people, though, were just unconcerned. Uh, the mountain setting was, was tranquil. People anticipated a time of renewal. It was getting into beginning, the beginnings of the springtime uh, and the new warmth. And, and so there was no reason they felt to, to heed those warnings. But then on March the 27th, a ranger heard what he thought was a sonic boom. The mountain had erupted. Uh, scientists began rushing to explore uh, the potential of the mountain. They painted this frightening scenario or uh, a future destruction. People listened, but many couldn't comprehend such a danger of such magnitude. Old Harry, he probably read the, the news stories while he ate his breakfast and, and fed scraps to his 16 cats. Uh, and he would brag, nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry. And if it don't dare blow upon him. Well, days and weeks passed, and some became impatient with all of those geologists and their negative reports. Here's the impending doom that's coming. And people would lose their concern uh, of anything ever happening, and they wanted to, to just get back to business as usual. Everybody heard the geologists say what they wanted to hear them say. They weren't really listening to them at all. Well, the, when the sheriff's deputies ordered uh, all the residents on the shores of Lake Spirit, or Spirit Lake at the base of the mountain to leave for safety, Harry said this. He said, I'm having a heck of a time living my life alone. I'm king of all I survey. I've got plenty of whiskey. I've got food for 15 years, and I'm sitting high on the hog. But then Sunday morning, March, or May, rather, uh, just a couple of months later, May the 18th, 1980, the mountain exploded and hurled pulverized rock and ash almost 14 miles high. The force of the blast flattened trees, uprooting and smashing them like millions of dominoes, spreading them out from the crater. Steam and ash and, and gases spouted uh, from the incinerated vegetation. Mud flows, they said, flowed from the rivers uh, of this tra that transformed this beautiful mountain lands into this uh, horrid uh, landscape. The mountain's vengeance, the article said, was 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb that leveled Hiroshima. The warnings were over. There was no longer any time to run, and no one ever saw Harry again. Scary story? Yes, and more. It's also, though, a true picture of how people stubbornly refuse to listen to the truth because their minds become filled with other things. Uh, don't be one of those people. Uh, understand this, the mountain and the things we see in prophecy may not be erupting at, at just this moment, but can you feel the earth trembling? 
Jesus' warning about the coming apocalypse in these verses, and whether we believe it or not, the warnings have already been sounded, the rumblings are beginning. So, so what should we do? Well, listen as Jesus gives us several things, several steps to take as the end is nearing, and we race towards the finish. Here's the first thing I want you to get from these verses and these two chapters tonight is this. Don't be deceived, take heed. Don't be deceived, take heed. You know, there is a lot of deception even in our day. Deception is a frequent topic throughout the scriptures. It began as early as the Garden of Eden, uh, but it seems to occupy an especially significant place in, in the prophetic passages of the New Testament. Nowhere is that more obvious than here in Matthew chapter 24, the famous Mount Olivet Discourse. One day, as we read here in verse 1 and verse 2, uh, the Lord's disciples approached Jesus and they ask him, as he's uh, there, uh, he, they ask, uh, they, he shows them some things. Uh, and then it says in verse 3, here's what they ask him. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, because remember he had just told them about all the, none of the stones of the temple are, are going to remain one upon another. They're all going to be thrown down. And they ask him, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? So Jesus begins his response with these words uh, of warning. Uh, notice what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Or some versions say it, take heed that no one deceives you. So important is this warning that it is recorded for us a second time in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 13 and verse 5 and verse 6. It says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. The warning is repeated again in Luke chapter 21 and verse 8. He said to them, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Well, he goes on to say that also in, in verse 5. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many uh, astray. Uh, and, and so in these passages, in, in all, all of these different gospels, Jesus is speaking about the beginning of the tribulation period that we're looking at in the book of Revelation. Toward the end of the age, he warned us there's going to be this increase, if you will, in deception and a tremendous potential for people to be deceived. Men and women are going to stand up and boldly say, I'm the answer. No, this one's going to stand up and say, no, I'm the answer. And to underscore that warning, uh, notice what Jesus says in verse 11. He says, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
Go down to verse 23 and verse 24 of, of Matthew chapter 24. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So three separate times in the space of 20 verses, Jesus warns his disciples about the deception to come. It's as if he were saying, gentlemen, the primary characteristic of the days just prior to my coming, my return, is going to be deception. You've got to be prepared for the deception that's coming. Uh, it's going to be so convincing and even so widespread that even my very own elect will be taken in by it if such a thing were possible. And so we see the deception in our day. We also see deception in the church because we're living in a day where men and women are being deceived right and left. In fact, it's one of the greatest threats uh, to the church uh, during these days. This is a time when, when all of God's people need to keep their eyes and their Bibles wide open. We need to be asking God for discernment as never before. You know, in, in the name of tolerance, uh, today's church believes uh, that, that we have to call God both he and she, uh, and that, it, that we have to describe the mother of Jesus as a young woman rather than as the Virgin Mary. Uh, in the name of Christianity, there are groups in the past, such as the Jesus Seminar, uh, who attack some of, the, some of the faith's most sacred doctrines, and there are still groups who are, who are doing this. According to the scholars of the Jesus Seminar, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. He didn't predict the end of the world. The Lord's Prayer was drawn up by Christians after Jesus died, and most of the Gospels tell us nothing uh, about who the real Jesus is, and that's what that whole movement was about, was getting at who the real historical Jesus was, and on and on it goes. And so little by little, seductively, Satan has been and still continues to sow those, those seeds of deception and evil. So what can we do? How can we prepare for the battle ahead? What steps can we take uh, to, to make sure we avoid what 2 Timothy calls the snare of the devil and so that we're not taken captive by him at his will. I think we have to begin by getting our minds ready, our hearts even ready for the attack to come uh, because we see the deceptions uh, here that even have infiltrated the church. I also want you to see deceptions, critical truths. So to effectively confront the, the, these chaotic days, we need to remind ourselves uh, of some crucial truths that we need to make sure we stand firm upon. You know, each of us who calls ourselves a Christian, every one of us who believes the Word of God, uh, have to move through life with a, uh, with a set of biblical certainties before us, at least of which are these three. So notice, one of the things we need to realize is the person behind the deceptions is Satan. The deception Jesus warned about and the deception we see around us is not just happenstance, if you will. There is someone who is behind uh, all of these deceptions, and that someone is none other than Satan himself, the, in, the enemy of our souls. He's the father of lies, and since the beginning, one of his primary weapons has been deceit. 
He came to Eve in the garden as the serpent, the subtle, smooth-talking deceiver. Uh, Revelation 12, 9 speaks of him as the serpent of old, uh, called the devil and Satan, who, receive, who deceives the whole world. Uh, John uh, chapter 8, and verse 44, tells us that there is no truth in him, for he is a liar and the father of it. Uh, however, Satan advertises himself. His main weapon, though, is deception. So it doesn't matter how he advertises who he is. He's a liar. Uh, he is the serpent. He is the deceiver. Uh, but he masquerades as something other than that. Uh, this pretend to be something he isn't lies at the core of his deadly strategy. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and verse 14 says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so notice the principles of deception have not changed. Look at how Satan deceives. You know, Satan has one proven strategy that he has used from the beginning. He doesn't have a new playbook. He doesn't even need one. And yet the unfortunate fact is that most of God's people have never analyzed, never looked at this strategy. And that's why they don't recognize the error uh, when it comes toward them uh, in any of the false doctrines that are running rampant today. So if we want to dissect Satan's strategy, the best way to do it is to return to the place where it was first on display in the third chapter of Genesis. In, in, let's see here and identify here Satan's master plan and how it applies to what goes on today. Genesis 3.1 says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made and said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So, so look at that and what he says there. What is his plan? First of all, he disputes God's word. The first thing Satan did when he tempted Eve was to dispute God's word. He immediately begins to water down, if you will, what God has said, to change it, even if it was just a little. He suggests to Eve, you know, you might not have heard God correctly. In subtle ways, he slightly, very slyly disputes God's word. And then he even denies God's word. Look at Genesis 3 verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So get this, God has said you will. Satan says, nah, you, you won't die. Don't believe what he said. He, he outright denies God's word. The road from doubt to denial is very short. And when Satan said, you will not surely die, that was a flat-out contradiction of what God had said. Because if you go back to Genesis 2, verse 17, where God did speak, it says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so it's important to notice the sequence here. Doubt opens the door to denial. If Eve had not listened to Satan in the beginning, she wouldn't have been victimized in the end. Uh, notice he also displaces 
God's word. After he disputes God's word and then he denies it, he immediately moves to displacing it. Notice he told Eve in, in chapter 3 and verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God had not even said that. In fact, what we find here is Satan is displacing, he is replacing the word of God uh, with his word. And one of the easiest places to see his plan at work in the world today is to look at how this culture treats sin. In the minds of many people, an improper relationship is different from adultery. But in the word of God, adultery is adultery. And when we allow Satan to, to sow doubts in our minds uh, that some sin uh, that we are contemplating, well, it really isn't sin after all, then we begin to open our hearts to the devil's deception. Notice how we allow ourselves to be deceived. Why do we allow Satan's master strategy to trap us? Well, watch carefully what Eve, what Eve did, and we'll see how we sometimes fall into the same trap also. Jesus told his disciples here, See that no one leads you astray. Let no one deceive you. And this is how we allow ourselves to be deceived. One of those ways is we discount God's goodness. Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 tells us, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But notice what Eve says God said. Notice how she quotes that in Genesis 3 and verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. What did she leave out? There's something she left out in what God said in Genesis 2.16 versus what she says in Genesis 3.2. What did she leave out? She left out God's wonderful promise. She omitted God's gracious provision that he said. He, he said that her and Adam could freely eat of the tree, uh, of, of, of every tree uh, in the garden. You may surely eat uh, of every tree uh, in the garden. That word surely means freely there. Uh, in, in other words, uh, her comprehension of God's provision wasn't necessarily as generous as what God intended it to be. Uh, Satan had gotten to her with his, his implications, his evil implications about God. And you know, when you start to question or you forget the grace and, and the goodness of God, you begin walking down that road, back down that road toward uh, deception. Ask yourself this, is God good? Has God been good to us? Does his word light the path ahead of us? Are his grace and his provision sufficient for all of our needs? In fact, hasn't he filled our cup to overflowing? That's the goodness of God. But what we tend to do is we tend to discount God's goodness. Notice we sometimes also dramatize God's restrictions. Nowhere do we find that God told her or Adam not to touch the forbidden tree. But notice what Eve said in verse 2. 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, verse 3, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But nowhere do we read prior to that in the scripture where God ever said that. He made no mention of touching. So what difference does that make? I mean, we could come up with logical reasons why he could have said that, but the Bible doesn't say that he did say that. So what difference does it make? Good question. I think the answer is, is that when you begin to give Satan that inroad into your life, you'll begin thinking less of the grace of God and the goodness of God and more of the law of God. And the next thing you know, you begin to think that God doesn't really care about you. Maybe he isn't really interested in your well-being at all. And so you begin to dramatize God's restrictions. Oh, he said we can't even touch it. And you begin to dramatize it. He never said that. And then we diminish God's penalty. We diminish God's penalty. Uh, notice she said, lest you die. But that's not entirely true and accurate of what God said. Notice in Genesis 2, verse 17, what the Lord said. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, there's a big difference between the word surely, which means will, and the word lest. You know, Eve left out that surely die part and changed it to a simple lest you die. When you put it like that, the penalty for disobedience doesn't seem so certain. And once you look at the word of God in that fashion, you leave yourself wide open to the deception of Satan. So listen, the devil wants to destroy, not to build up. He wants to enslave, if you will, not to liberate and to free. Remember, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, of course, he never does it, though, in some obvious, obnoxious way. He does it deceptively. He, he sows these little seeds of doubt about the word of God. But understand this, the power over deception is Jesus Christ. So against that backdrop of Satan's deceit stands Jesus Christ, who is the personification of truth. Our Lord said of himself in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how important is it for believers to understand that Jesus Christ is the champion of truth? He is the truth. When we follow him, we walk in the truth, and we're not deceived by the many false prophets who've gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So if we stay with the truth, Satan can't get in. When we saturate our minds and our hearts with God's truth and we live in that truth, we will be set free and decep deception cannot manhandle us, if you will. 
And so when you play with deceptive words of Satan and you allow deception into your heart and you begin to open the door for him, even if it's just a small uh, crack in the door there for him to get a foothold in the door. And every time God's people suffer destruction is because he has gotten that foothold in the door and he wreaks havoc in our lives and in the lives of our families. So that's what Jesus says. He says here, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And, and so he says, you're, you're going to hear of all these kind of things. We'll talk about this next verse in, in just a moment. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of war. See that uh, you're not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And so basically what he says to his disciples when they ask him about, tell us about the signs of when this is going to happen. Tell us about uh, <clears throat> when uh, one stone is going to be uh, left upon another. Uh, tell us of the sign of your coming. Tell us of the end uh, of the age. A and Jesus says to them, guys, don't be troubled. When we're going through bo the book of Revelation here, that's the same message God is saying to us. Don't be troubled. Uh, so uh, prophecy, why do we study prophecy? Why should you listen to Jesus uh, about what lies ahead in the future? Because one thing, it'll keep you from tripping over the deception of the enemy and following, falling into deadly traps. Everything we have considered in this chapter is prophetic truth. The one who started this deception in the garden continued his de deceit in the land of Israel. And he's been busy uh, throughout the ages uh, and even through the days of the church. And Jesus tells us that there's coming a day where he's going to be given free reign for a little while at the end of this age. Uh, assisted by this brilliant, wicked man of the Bible that the Bible calls the man of sin or the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to be the embodiment of everything Satan ever wanted uh, in, in this life. Uh, he's going to be a deceiver of all human deceivers. The Bible says his deception is going to be so powerful that if it were possible, he would deceive even the elect. And that's where this long road of, of satanic deception is headed. And we're almost there. And as we move toward the time when Jesus comes back, we're going to see more and more uh, of this deception. First Timothy chapter four, verse one plainly tells us that this deception will grow. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And I believe we're already living on the outer edges of the latter times and have been for some time. Already the, the spirit of deception is rampant among us. But don't forget that in the midst of the problem, there is Jesus. In the midst of the greatest seduction of our times, there is the absolute rock-solid person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. There are days uh, when, when you look at the headlines and, and it's just all fear. When we look at the headlines, sometimes we're, we're tempted towards fatalism, that we might as well throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the use? We're, we're headed for hell in a handbasket. Uh, we're Sodom and Gomorrah on the way to the fire. Let's just move to some cave and, and wait for the end. What do we really need, though, in these troubling days? We don't need a hideout. We don't need some backdoor fire escape. 
We don't need more entertainment to dull our senses and, and, and to divert our energies. We don't need to allow accumulated anxiety and dread to push us into heart attacks and ulcers and all kinds of physical problems. What we need is perspective, God's perspective about the future. And so the disciples are sitting with Jesus on this slope of the Mount of Olives. And all the way up on that hill, these men had a puzzling uh, look and, and, and re uh, they were puzzling themselves over the remarks that Jesus had just made when they left the temple area in the city. Uh, when he said all these things are going to happen, this temple is going to come down, and, and they had those questions that they asked. Uh, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming, and what will be the sign of the end of the age? When these disciples heard that teaching there, they assumed Jesus was speaking of the end times. The disciples' first question was when. When are these things going to be? Well, Luke captures the Lord's answer in the greatest detail in Luke 21. Uh, Jesus gave the disciples both specific information and some concrete things to watch for in the days to come. Uh, and so I'd encourage you to look at Luke 21. The second question was what? What will be the sign of your coming? And then the third question is what? What will be the signs of the end of the age? So in Matthew 24, Jesus takes the time to answer those questions in detail. And as he unfolds these truths, he gives his disciples three things to watch for, three signs of his imminent return. One is what we've already been talking about, the sign of deception. So Jesus warned of a great increase in deception. He urged his people not to be swayed, not to be seduced by false messiahs and false antichrists. He warned that as we move towards the end of the age, deceptions such as these are going to multiply. Then he gives them, he says, the signs of disputes among the nations. Jesus warns the disciples, he said there in verse 6, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So he warns the disciples, you're going to hear of wars, you're going to hear rumors of wars. He explains that nation is going to rise against nation. Uh, you're going to see an escalation of, of wars, kingdom against kingdom. But Jesus said we ought to understand the escalation of wars and the, the dissension among groups of people as a clear signal of the forthcoming return of him to this earth. A third thing he told him to look for is this, the sign of devastation. A sign of devastation. Jesus warned that there would be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Uh, so notice uh, with this, uh, Jesus warns uh, there's going to be all these things. People are going to be displaced by war and by weather. Millions across our world are going to go to bed hungry. And as we draw closer to the end time, Jesus declares that those tragic conditions are going to continually escalate. And earthquakes, in the 10th century, there were 32 known earthquakes. In the 15th century, 147. In the 17th century, there were 378. But in the 19th century, there were 2,119 earthquakes. In 2010, in the United States alone, 
there were 8,496 earthquakes. That was the year that the big earthquake hit Haiti and killed some 316,000 people and injured another 300,000. In 2021, the last statistics that I could find, there were 19,663 earthquakes of a magnitude of 2.0 or higher in the U.S. alone and another 74,690 that were below the 2.0 on the Richter scale. Most of those you wouldn't even feel, but the 2.0s and above, you could. Since 2000, there have been 38,843 earthquakes that have registered above a 5.0 on the Richter scale. There's also been uh, just as drastic an increase in intensity as there has been in frequency. Just since 2000, major earthquakes have killed over 800,000. That's a, that's a lot. Uh, over 800,000 since 2000. Uh, when Jesus spoke of devastations, however, he had more than earthquakes uh, in mind. Uh, he said there's going to be uh, famines, there's going to be earthquakes in, in, in various places. And, and he had more in mind than just those things, plagues uh, like, that, like AIDS uh, and other deadly viruses, SARS, MERS, Ebola, and now COVID-19 now race across the globe. In the United States, over 700,000 people have died from, what do you think, AIDS. Yeah, over 700,000 have died alone since the epidemic began. Over 1.02 million deaths from COVID-19 in just the USA, if you believe the statistics. I know people disagree on that. But all of these are signs that the times of Christ's return is nearing and growing near. But what does Jesus say about all this? What's his commentary on today's worrisome headlines? What does he say in verse 6? He says, see that you are not alarmed or you're not troubled. And we're like, what? Not troubled? Are you kidding? What do you mean, Lord? I mean, how could we keep from being alarmed? How could we keep from being troubled by all these terrors and devastations visiting our planet? Uh, and so he, he says all of that there. And then he tells us how, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples that these rumblings and, and these shakings signal the beginnings of the end. The end's not yet, he says, but it's in sight. And so when we see all these things happening around us in our world today, day by day, we know it's drawing closer. And those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord know that before these things become full-blown, he's going to take us right out of this world with him. The Word of God tells us that those who belong to him uh, will, will be raptured. And so I want to jump on down because he goes through the abomination of desolation. We've spent a lot of time in that already. We'll come back to a little bit of that later. But I want you to go down to verse 32 through verse 33 and to see the lesson of the fig tree as he gives a parable here to explain a little bit more. Notice what verse 32 and verse 33 says. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know, what do you know? Summer's coming. Summer's near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. It's close. He's right at the gate. 
So these end time events won't happen in just a day, but there is going to be this gradual buildup that will unfold in the months and the years prior to that. And I believe that's what we're seeing is that buildup more and more and more to the end times. When the disciples asked Jesus about his return, he gave them some details and then spoke this little parable to help them understand how all of those pieces fit together. He was probably walking by a fig tree and he points to its branches and, and he uses it as, a, as an illustration. He uses it there as a picture. And Jesus encourages us to learn from the fig tree. He says, when its branches uh, become tender and put forth leaves, what do you know? You know, summer's on the way. If the Lord had chosen to live in another part of the world, he might have said, when, those, when, you, when you see those little crocus flowers uh, pushing their blossoms up through the snow, what do you know? Spring's just around the corner. Uh, the Lord's word picture here is just that. It's a picture to serve as a window, if you will, that helps us to gaze through to the truth. It helps us to understand that when certain signs emerge right in front of our eyes, we can nod our heads and say, yep, it's just like Jesus said it was going to be. The time of his coming must be very near. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3 says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You see, the primary purpose of, of the Lord's coming, uh, Paul tells us, uh, are like labor pains. And at first, those pains aren't intense at all. Uh, when a woman's pregnant and it's getting that time for labor, uh, it's not that intense. The initial stirrings are, are more uncomfortable uh, than painful. Uh, you begin to feel things moving, and, and they may feel one pain, and, and as it gets closer, then maybe they don't feel anything again for 20 minutes or more. But as the birth approaches, that pain gets a little more intense and the pain gets a little closer. And when you reach the stage where the pain is very intense and those pains are, are gripping you with, with regular frequency, you know you better get to the hospital or you're going to be given birth in the back seat of the car. We almost had that happen. <laughs> the pain grows. The intensity grows. The frequency grows. And then poof, life changes. That's how we ought to look at these signs of the coming of Jesus Christ. When we see those signs begin to grow sharper, when we begin to see it happening more frequently, we ought to understand that our redemption is drawing nigh. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 3 says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Don't be shaken. Don't be troubled. Keep it all in perspective. If you want a troubled heart, if you want confusion and anxiety and mental paralysis, then, then just don't even read the Bible. Uh, keep listening to all those other voices in the, in the headlines and, and in the airwaves and read the internet and listen to talk radio and, and you'll, find your, you'll find all the trouble that you can handle. But when you've had enough of it, when your heart is weary and you long for perspective and a fresh uh, ho rest and hope, uh, get alone with God. Open your Bible and the Holy Spirit will begin to bring understanding to your heart and to your mind and to bring peace and perspective to your soul. 
Notice the perspective, rebellion. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through verse 3, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 through verse 5 talks about the end days and says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, uh, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, he says. Don't even be around them. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 and verse 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What Paul predicted to Timothy has already happened. And it continues to happen. That's the rebellion that we see. Then we see the removal. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 7 says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. What in the world is this restraining? What it is, is this an invisible force holding back the gathered might of the multitude of evil. Uh, as bad as it is today in our world today, it could and it will get even worse. Uh, the restraining influence in our world that holds back this evil, dark, satanic side, if you will, and, and tied to perversion and, and lawlessness and keeps it in check, who has that kind of power to restrain Satan? Only God. And, and it's God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who draws the line today, who keeps that ocean of evil at bay. When will that restraining influence, though, cease? It'll cease when the Holy Spirit no longer has the ministry he has now. And when will that happen? When the church is taken out of the way at the rapture. Let me ask you a question. Where does the Holy Spirit live right now? In you. When we are taken out of this world, that restraining spirit of the Holy Spirit uh, will no longer have, uh, this world will no longer have a resident ministry on this earth. His role will revert to what it was in the Old Testament. If you think conditions are, are dark now, if, if you think it's bad now, just imagine the way things are going to be when all the restraints are suddenly removed. Sin and death and hatred and perversion are going to rush in to fill that vacuum left by the departure of the church and the presence of the Spirit. When that occurs, the great tribulation isn't far behind. How soon? Who knows? The next sound you and I hear could well be the trumpet call of God. And then before we can even take our breath or blink our eyes, we're going to be racing together through the stratosphere to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah.
But then I want you to see the revelation. The third thing Paul said would have to happen is the revelation of the lawless one. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Who is this lawless one? It is the Antichrist. The Bible tells us clearly that before the day uh, of the Lord arrives and the tribulation sweeps across this world, many in the church are going to turn away from the truth. The rapture of the church is going to take place, and this one called the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of your word tonight. Thank you for the blessing of the time we've had together in your word. And I pray that you will use what we've learned, uh, albeit briefly here, uh, really in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 24. Help us, Lord, to understand that, yes, these things are going to happen, but multiple times Jesus told his disciples, multiple times you have told us here, don't be troubled by it. Don't be troubled by it. Don't be troubled by it. You stand fast, you stand firm. Uh, you keep holding on to the word, you keep holding on to the truth, and you keep working hard until Jesus comes. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that each and every day. Father, help us by leading us and guiding us with the light of your word, whatever steps we need to take in our hearts and our lives. Bless us, Lord, in the days ahead. Keep us focused on Jesus and not on the things that are happening around us. Uh, help us to look at those things and to realize it's getting closer. It's getting closer. So we don't have much more time. Lord, I know that as I look at my own life and I look at this world around me, I realize that we are in those getting on the edge of those last days. Uh, we're not in the great tribulation yet, but we know it's coming. But one thing I know, Lord, is even if you should delay the coming of Jesus I'm getting closer. Others here are getting closer to death. And so, Father, I pray that we would make the most of the opportunity and the time we have to share with others the good news of the gospel. Lord, watch over us. Keep us all safe in your grace and in your mercy. Help us to be faithful in your work in the days ahead. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there online. Thank you for being here uh, in person. Uh, glad to have you with us. I encourage you to come uh, this coming Sunday morning. Uh, hopefully I'll be back with no delays or cancellations with air flights. Uh, but if not, we'll still have a preacher that's going to be preaching. Pastor Matt's going to share uh, the word of God if I'm not here. Uh, and so I just encourage you, join us Sunday morning, 915 for Sunday school. Uh, 10.30 for worship. You can join us online for worship, and we encourage you to do that. Uh, you, you keep safe. You have a blessed week, and keep us in your prayers as we are in Canada. You have a blessed week, and we'll see you this Sunday.